Hey, uh, we are, Troy mentioned, we are going to be continuing on in the book of Galatians. We turn the corner into the last chapter now, between now and, say, the middle of next month. <clears throat> We're going to look at five verses today, and then next week I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving. I've never done a message on gratefulness, and so I've wanted to for a while. So we're going to depart from Galatians just for uh, next week with me. And then the following week, I'm actually here, but Tom Schrader will be speaking that day, December 1st. And if you've never heard Schrader, you're going to want to hear him. He's awesome. And even if you have heard him, you'll probably want to come hear him again because he's a great teacher of the Word of God. And then on uh, December 8th and then the 15th, we're going to wrap up Galatians. And then on the 22nd, I think I'll talk about Christmas by then. So we'll be ready to enter into our Savior's birth. After the worship service today, or after the message right now, and in Cactus and Venue as well, we're going to be taking up our Elders Fund offering, which we do once a month. The uh, elders and staff have decided that this month uh, what is <clears throat> given in that offering is going to go 100% to relief in the Philippines because of the typhoon. Uh, there have been, yeah, you can clap for that. There's been um, tremendous, as you know, tremendous amount of loss because of that. And we're actually going to do something rather, we believe, unique but substantive. We're going to take the offerings that you all give, and, and that will be well protected, and in, after the dust settles in, in a few months, we're going to put together a mission team, and maybe you want to be a part of that, and we're going to send a group of people over, and we're going to take the money that is donated this weekend and use that to build houses and to rebuild lives, and, and as a church to tangibly do something for families uh, in the Philippines. We have contacts over there to actually rebuild some lives physically, but then also have an impact spiritually. So uh, please give generously to that, and we'll talk about that after we get done uh, in our time in the Word. But th this is a really meaningful and substantive thing we feel led to do to bring relief uh, to the Philippines. We're going to turn to the word now, and so won't you bow with me and let's ask God's blessing. Father, we do. We're entering into a time, Lord, a season in our country where this idea of being grateful and asking your continued blessing will hopefully be on a lot of people's minds. We know as followers of Jesus that we're to do that all the time, every day, anywhere and anyhow. And so even, Lord, as we turn to your word now, we ask for your blessing, for insight, wisdom, understanding. And that, Lord, as you give that, our commitment back will be to live what you teach us. And we pray this in Christ's name. <clears throat> Amen. So th there's just something about seeing somebody radically helped when they ha are experiencing a great burden that touches just about everybody who sees it and hears about it. So, for instance, we're talking about missions when a doctor takes two or three, two, one or two weeks out of his or her life and on his or her own nickel goes over to a third world country and performs surgery on kids that would otherwise never have the level of health care that he or she provides. We look at that and say, wow, a, a deep burden and somebody offering radical help. Or, or say when a lawyer takes on a case pro bono to help somebody who otherwise would never get justice and can't afford to get justice, we look at that and say, wow, that's really an awesome thing. 
or, or even more closer to our personal lives when we see somebody who regularly serves in a nursing home or a homeless shelter or a prison rolling up his or her sleeves and offering a cup of cold water in Jesus' name by lifting somebody's burden. We're moved by that. I mean, even the most hardened among us, when we see this or hear about it, it touches us. And the reason that it does is because most of us realize that life in this fallen world at times can get real bad real fast. And that when that happens, when the burden becomes too great for one to carry alone, that it's at that time we need others to come alongside and help us carry it. I mean, folks, even the most self-sufficient, God-satisfied, inwardly resilient person tends to get to the point at times in life where the burden <clears throat> becomes too great to carry alone. If there is one thing that being a pastor now for a quarter of a century has taught me, it's that. So it's like a, a doctor friend of mine in Cleveland who, who, who was a very, very intellectually and emotionally rugged man, if I ever met one, very, very self-sufficient. When his wife died, uh, he just lost the, the love and, and, and soulmate of his life. And it hit him like a ton of bricks would hit somebody. It literally flattened him. And when I was in Cleveland there, he needed a friend and even a pastor to come alongside him and have a cup of coffee and listen and pray to help lift the burden. Or how about a single mom that I knew in Detroit when I was pastoring there? One of the most amazing and awesome single moms I'd ever met. I mean, she worked hard. She poured into her girls. She kept her spirits up and alive. But being a single mom is hard. So even for her, eventually the weight became too great for her to bear alone. And she asked her church for help. And thankfully, we were there. Or how about a business friend of mine in, in Canada, one of the most capable and successful leaders I know in my sphere of influence, who piles so much on himself that eventually his body and mind gave him a big stop sign in the form of a depression out of, just seeming out of nowhere, and he cried uncle. And he asked other people for help, this very tough man, because even he realized the burden can sometimes can be too great. I could go on and on. Whatever it is, most people need some help at some point in their life. The burden becomes too great. And here's what God says to you and me. He says it's up to us to be his agents of grace and his agents of help in a person's time of need. And that though Troy was right earlier when he said that, you know, God is there for us, that is good theology. But you know what else is good theology? God is there for us in each other. And we need to remember that. And that's exactly what Galatians is going to show us today. And so here's our main point as we turn the page into the last chapter of this book that we've been studying this year, chapter 6. It tells us that for those who are spiritually strong, our job now is to help those who are fallen. For those of us who are spiritually strong, we'll define that in a minute, our job is to help those who are fallen. And so look with me at how the text puts this. Look at Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Now, just for a second here, focus on verse 2, which I would argue is the heart of these five verses, when it says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the love or the law of Christ. You know, one of the things that expert commentators just about universally agree upon, and they don't always agree on everything, is that when it says there that we fulfill the law of Christ, it's referring to Jesus' often repeated command to love your neighbor as yourself. In John 13, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. In Matthew 22, he says the the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, quoting Leviticus 19. And so the reality is, is that Jesus summed up the law by saying that when it comes to our horizontal relationships, it's all about love. And, And that's what most Bible experts believe is referred to here when it says the law of Christ. And so if that's true, and most people think it is, then then check this out. What Galatians is simply adding here is action and grit to Jesus' ethic by pointing out that we fulfill this law, we complete this law when we come alongside a fallen brother or sister and literally help carry the load. When we come alongside them and bear their burden, we are actually fulfilling and completing our obligation to love. Now, with that understanding, let's dig a little bit deeper here because I think there's more to it than that just simply that profound point. When you look closely at these five verses here, you will notice at least three qualifiers that it gives to this idea of bearing another's burdens. And it's interesting, the qualifiers all surround this word bear or this idea of bearing. And so first, notice with me that it tells us that we need to bear boldly, and I would add fully, boldly and fully. And to see this, as you look more closely at verses 1 and 2, what you're going to see when you look at really what's going on in these two verses here is that it's giving us a real-life scenario that all of us can relate to, or if you haven't, duck, someday you will, a real-life scenario that all of us can relate to that then is to be responded to with a Christ-like response. So here's the real-life scenario in verses 1 and 2, and that is that someone is caught in the clutches of sin, and or they are burdened by the difficult circumstances that you can find in this world. It's interesting, that word caught here in verse 1 is a very revealing word in the original Greek language that the book of Galatians was written in. It's the Greek word pralambano, and it literally means, now get this, to take beforehand to surprise. It carries with it the idea that somebody's been overtaken by something, as one commentator says, forcibly laid hold of before reflection has had a chance to occur. And so it's obviously in this context picturing somebody who's been ambushed by sin, they've been surprised by sin and and its lethality, and, and, and it's not a person who was simply caught by us. That's what some people think. Well, you know, we caught you in our sin or in your sin or something like that. No, that's not what it is. It's somebody who was caught by sin and its effects, and they didn't see it coming. They were dabbling with things maybe they shouldn't have been, but it took them more by surprise than they ever thought. And if you ask me, I think this tends to describe sin as at least I know it. 
I mean, though, though we're all responsible for our choices and decisions, I don't think the text is denying that. At the same time, I don't know of too many people who, who were anticipating divorce when they said, I do, at the altar. Do you? I know. I don't know of too many people who intended on being an alcoholic when they took their first drink. I don't know of too many business people who intended on declaring bankruptcy when they started their business. You get the idea. Most of us do an audit of our lives and we look back and we realize that we didn't intend for things to get so out of control and it doesn't negate our own responsibility. It just tells us that there is sin in this world, there's sin in us, and like a careening train, it can gain speed and before you know it, it can be surprising us at what a mess our lives can become. And, and so that's what it's describing here, somebody who's been caught up in the mess of sin, and it's too great for them to bear alone. Now, hang on to that, and then look at verse 2. Interesting, because it uses a different word to describe this same real-life scenario. It uses that word burden. So, so first, somebody's caught in a transgression that's too much for them, but then it says we are to bear their burden. Again, this is a very pictorial word in the original language. It's the Greek word baras, and it literally means, now, now don't miss this, a tremendous weight, a very heavy load. It was used in the Greco-Roman world back then to refer to the tipping point of a scale, the high point of a scale. So picture a very heavy item being put on the scale, and it's so heavy that it's just registering the very, very high end, almost off the charts. That, that's what this word pictures. And so it could be referring, in light of verse 1, to the weight that sin adds to our life, but also standing alone by itself in verse 2, it's also, I believe, referring to simply fallen circumstances in this fallen world that, that take us as well by surprise. But either way, whether the burden of sin or the burden of circumstances beyond our control, the point is it's a burden. It's like the high end of the scale that can tip things even for the most rugged of us. And here is where the Christ-like response come in, comes in, namely that those of us who happen to be strong and healthy spiritually are literally commanded to come alongside and help those who are hurting with tons of grace and even tangible help. That's the point. I love the words it actually uses here to describe the response that you and I should have. I don't know if you caught them. They're kind of convicting. It says that those of us who are spiritual should restore and we should bear. And that when we do that, it equals, as we saw, love, fulfilling the law of Christ. And even doing so, it adds, in a spirit of gentleness. So simply put, those of us who are spiritual, it simply means those of us who happen to be doing really well in our walk with God right now, those of us, as we're going to see a little bit later, who are doing a pretty good job bearing our own load, that those of us who have been blessed by God and are strong right now in our spirit, those of us need to identify and come alongside one who has fallen, again, either by their own circumstances or by their own sin, and we need to restore them. Now, that word means to make right or to make adequate. It was used in Matthew chapter 4 to describe the mending of fishing nets. So that's a good picture there. 
And we're to do that by bearing their burden, literally taking the load upon ourselves. Same word used in John 19, verse 17, to describe Jesus carrying or bearing his own cross as we went up to the crucifixion. And that when we do that, the Bible says it all adds up to obvious love, especially if we have a non-judgmental spirit, a spirit of gentleness. And so the spiritual restore, we bear, we do so gently, we do so in love. But you know, once we understand that, because that's what the text is saying, that's good theology, the real question becomes, how do we do that, especially today? How do we apply this in such a way that it really lives out the intent of this text here? Or put another way, how do we recognize a burden in another, again, a burden of this fallen world or a burden of their own sin, and respond with Christ-like love. I want you to listen to how Tim Keller from uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan answers this question directly on this text in his commentary on Galatians. Look up here on the screen. This is good. This will get you thinking. He says, you cannot help with a burden unless you come very close to the burdened person, standing virtually in their shoes and putting your own strength under the burden, so its weight is distributed on both of you, lightening the load of the other. So in the same way, a Christian must listen and understand and physically, emotionally, spiritually take up the burden with the other person. I don't know about you, but I, I like that. That got me thinking a lot this week uh, about what this means for you and I. That once we understand verses 1 and 2 and cactus and venue, once we understand verses 1 and 2, what, what do we do with that? And based on Keller's analysis here, I thought of at least three things that, that you and I, at the very least, should be doing to help lighten the load of those around us. And here they are. I think at the very least, we need to listen, we need to help, and we need to pray. That, that if you're looking for very, very practical outpouring of this, we need to listen, help, and pray. But, but think about those things and think about what the average Christian does. First, we need to listen. You know what the average Christian does when somebody comes to them with a problem? They, they speak. They give advice. In fact, I have noticed in the last 30 years that Christians are actually the most freely advice givers and the best advice givers of anybody in all of culture. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, we have an answer for everything. And in part, there's good reason for that because we have what? A Bible. And the Bible has tremendous wisdom directly from God. It's his word. And yet we're very, very quick when somebody is hurting to say, I got that one. I got that one. It's right here in Jeremiah 12. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain. I just found that. When I complain to you, I got that one. And we're so good to dispense advice. But you know what I have found, especially as I've gotten older and my problems become more rich? <laughs> I have found that when I go to somebody, it's not because I need advice. I, I usually know what I need to do. I'm just having trouble doing it. I, I usually know that, that God has a journey for me to, to, to get out of the problem I'm in, but I need someone to journey with me. And you know what the most powerful thing you can do when you journey with somebody is listen. Because most people aren't listening to them. Just let them tell their story. Let them get it out. Let them, let them get their complaint before you like Job needed to do in, in his book. And then, if you're going to do anything from that, again, I'd avoid just giving a bunch of advice. Why don't you just help at that point? You know, the most powerful question you can ask somebody after you've listened is, what can I do for you? What can I do? 
Can, can, I, can I meet with you again and buy you a meal? Can I help you tangibly? Can I, can I help out at home? Can I help you financially? What can I do to help ease the burden that you're under? And then always pray. Pray with them. And then pray when you're away from them. Because God answers prayer. I, I think this is how we restore by bearing another's burden with love and gentleness. But think about this even further. Before you can even do that, we also need to be discerning and have our antennas up to be drawing out of people what their specific burden is. You know, especially in a town like Scottsdale, one of the things that I've noticed, and I grew up in a town like this outside of Cleveland, where you have an upper middle class, very wealthy community, is that most people are not very willing to share with you their burden until it gets really bad. Have you ever noticed that? We ask someone, how are you doing? Just fine. I'm doing great. While they're really not. And if that's true, and it obviously is, then I think it's incumbent upon you and I to be the type of followers of Jesus who master the art of listening and the kind of relationality that is good at drawing out of people what's going on in their lives. Let me share with you a story that how this can work. It was really kind of a profound story. One of the things the elders do when we meet for our, our, our regular time of soul care, which is just a time where we share our lives and pray with each other, is that we use a little exercise that was taught to be my, by, by one of my mentors called sharing your red dot. And sharing your red dot is really simple. If you've ever been to a mall, look up here on the screen, Cactus and Venue, your screen. You know when you go to a mall and, and, and you're lost and you don't know where to go or you don't know where J.C. Penney is or something, What's so funny? Anyways, you look at the mall, and, and there's this map that, that, that shows you the whole mall, and the red dot symbolizes you are here. So we all love that red dot because it helps us identify where we happen to be and where we need to go. And all we do as an elder team is that we take that and we spiritualize it and we basically share with each other on a regular basis where we are spiritually and relationally at this time in our lives. We call it sharing our red dot. And so it's actually cold for us. We met Thursday night for our soul care and I didn't have to say much. I just said, okay, guys, it's red dot time. Where's your red dot? And the only commitment we ask is that you be as honest as you can. And your red dot might be joy, you're flying high. Your red dot might be my kid is in trouble. Your red dot might be my marriage is bland. Your red dot might be I'm confused about this. But just bring it to the table. And red dot stuff has helped. One of the elders shares this week that it was so cool. He had been leading a Bible study in his community for about a year and a half. And they get together regularly in this Bible study. They open the Bible and they understand a text. And then they talk about it and apply it. And he said, but... You know, we're really not sharing our lives. You ever been in a Bible story like that? Like, we're not really doing life together. We're just kind of hiding behind the book. And, and so he said, you know, last week what I did in my Bible study was really cool. He said, I shut the book. Not, you guys, don't, 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 don't get mad at me for that. He goes, I, I shut the book. And he said, tonight what we're going to do is, is share our red dots. And he told them what the elders do, and he said, I just want you guys to share your red dot with each other. And he said it was an amazing evening. He said he learned things about these people, and they're all his neighbors and friends, that he has never heard in a year and a half of Bible study. And again, this is not to knock Bible study. Bible study is very important. I lead one every week. It's just that sometimes... We can be in a Bible study or a small group or a service environment, but we're not 
really getting to the heart of what's going on in our lives. And so maybe in people in your life right now, the red dot would be helpful if you just started to probe a little bit, ask them if they'll share where their red dot is. You see, as we go through Compelled by Grace and all this campus disruption and cactus and venue, you're a part of this too, we have these prayer walls where we're praying for people in our sphere of influence. And do you remember what we're praying for? That some of them would be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that others would be helped. But we're the agents of help. And so maybe this week it's an opportunity for you to reach out and start talking about the red dot and then responding with listening and helping and praying. I don't think anything else will suffice as we apply this text. Now, more quickly, notice with me two further qualifiers that Galatians gives us when it comes to bearing one another's burdens. And these are interesting, but these will help a lot. For next, it tells us to bear wisely. It says to bear wisely. It says in the second half of verse 1, as it tells us uh, to restore, and it's about ready to tell us to bear, it couches it with this. It says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So simply put, as we come alongside and help those in need, it's telling us to be vigilant to watch our own souls lest we fall into the same trap, whether again a sinful trap or a just fallen world trap, uh, ourselves. And again, I I know how some of you think. I was thinking about this week. I thought, you know, when we get to this point, there's going to be some, especially some of you more tough, self-sufficient men who are going to be sitting there going, well, that doesn't really happen. I mean, come on, who'd have to be stupid enough to try to help somebody and then fall into the same trap that they're in? That really doesn't happen, does it? What's the answer to that? Yeah, I've seen it happen to the best of them. I'll explain why in a minute, and it's inarguable, but the reality is, is that I have seen even some of the best and strong get too close to the sin issue in trying to help others, and they fall. It's the alcoholic who has spent years getting clean and sober and has done all the work they need to do in their recovery and they're going to meetings and they're watching their soul and they're working the program and they're staying close to God and all that. But as they try to help sponsor another alcoholic, they get too close. They don't watch their own soul and they fall off the wagon. I've seen that happen in many other areas of life where we think that we're doing really well, and in many ways we are, but part of bearing another one's burden, because we certainly need to do that, is also keeping watch of our own soul. And the reason that this is so, and this is humbling, I know, but it's true. The reason that this is so is because of the fact that there is something inside of us that no matter how mature, no matter how seasoned we get, the Bible says, don't ever forget, you are still frail, you are still finite, you are still fallen, and you are never, ever beyond temptation this side of heaven. See, I think some Christians think different. I think some Christians get to the point in their walk with God where they think, well, I've really done so well and I've worked the program and I know the Bible and I go to church and I'm really strong and I'm obedient, so it's not going to ever get me. And you know what's amazing is that we forget all the stories in the Bible. I mean, think of all the examples of very godly men and women in the Bible who were mature and seasoned and yet struggled and fell greatly. Think of Moses. 
time he leads the Israelites out of the promised land. He spends 40 years wandering with them in the desert and being patient. And does anybody know why he didn't get to lead them into the promised land? Do you remember that story? Because of one moment of anger. One moment where he hit the rock. And God said, I didn't tell you to hit the rock. I was just kind of ticked, Lord. I've been here for 40 years. And God said, well, because of that, he goes, I'm going to give you a glimpse of the promised land. Somebody else, Joshua, will lead them into it. Wow, he lost it in a moment that God was definitely not pleased. How about Elijah? After fighting the prophets at Baal, succumbing to depression in the desert. Or how about David, King David, writing these beautiful psalms. And then he had to write Psalm 51, which is the one after his sin of lust and sexuality with Bathsheba. Or how about Peter? He'd been with Jesus for three years, day and night. Jesus had told him, I'm going to the cross. You don't get it. This is part of God's plan. When the time came, Peter takes out his sword and slices off the soldier's ear. What's that about? This is about great men in the Bible and great women as well. That even though they were seasoned and mature, they weren't beyond falling. And so here's the deal. I don't mean to insult you, but the reality is, is if that was true for them, you're a goner when it comes to your life. Because this was the Billy Graham uh, of their generation. And so I look at that and I sit there and go, that should humble us. That should teach us good theology, which is what Galatians 6 is trying to say here. And that is, just don't ever underestimate the lure of sin as well as the weakness of your own soul. We will not be complete until heaven. And so the reality is we need to bear wisely. And this leads us then to the third qualifier for how we bear others' burdens. And this will actually help you bear fully and wisely. And we've kind of hinted to it, but the text just nails it. And that is to bear humbly to bear humbly. It says in verses 3 through 5, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. You know one of the things that's confused me for years about this passage and I never really looked at it all that deeply until this week, but for years I've felt a tension between verse 2 and verse 5. I don't know if you caught it or not, but verse 2 says to bear one another's burdens and then verse 5 says bear your own load. And I've always thought to myself, well, that seems kind of like a contradiction, but it's not one of the biggest contradictions, seeming contradictions in the Bible. So it's never been one that, that I've really dug into. But this week I decided to dig into that because it just, how do you make sense of that? Bear one another's burdens, but bear your own load. Interesting, the ESV, the translation we use here, actually does a great job of translating that word burden with that word load because they really are two different Greek words. And what's interesting, as we saw in verse 2, is that the word burden there, remember, tipping the scale, the high point of the scale, means a very, very heavy load, so heavy that you can't carry it yourself. The word, Greek word for load, in verse 5 there means a proper load. It was a word used for cargo back in New Testament times. I like how one commentator said it. He said if verse 2 is about a heavy load, verse 5 is about a backpack. And so the reality is, is that what the passage is saying there is that there are going to be some of us, now equate this to those who are strong, those who are spiritual, that have a normal, proper load in life right now. It's still a load because it's a fallen world and we're trudging through this world, but it's not so heavy that you're overwhelmed. And that's the load that God has given you to bear. Now, here's my point. What this is saying then 
is that when you and I are, verse 5, when we are spiritually strong and able to help those who are overly burdened, verse 2, it's only because God, in his sovereignty and care, has seen to bless you with a proper burden to carry at this point in your life. And this, in and of itself, should cause us to remember that it is only his grace that provides that, and that should create humility in us. And we know that this is the case because in verse 3, it says that if anyone thinks he is something when he is, say it with me, nothing. I like how Keller says it. Keller says, don't skip by that too fastly. God says outside of his grace, you are nothing. You think you are, but you're not. And the reality is, is that we need to remember that that's good theology for our soul. And if we are, verse 5, if we are in a position to help others because we got a proper load right now, then we need to thank God for that and humbly reach out to those around us. And you know what's so cool about that? When you're in that centered place with God, others are going to want to receive help from you. But, but if you're the opposite, like some Christians are, and I, and I get this almost every week from somebody where a, a Christian will come to me and say, you know what, Pastor, may I give you some advice on something? Now, what kind of spirit is that? You know, may, may I give you advice on something? Because, you know, I was thinking about it, and you said this, and you did that, but let me tell you, do I want to receive them? Do I want to receive help from them in that time? I have to because I'm paid to, but I don't want to. <laughs> And we all know the difference. We all know somebody who comes to us kind of full of themselves and haughty. And, and it's really ugly when you see that in a Christian who should know otherwise. But, but again, let's not focus on that because the, the focus here is on a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of humility. Where we say, there but for the grace of God go I. Oh, I see you're hurting. That, that could have been me because I'm, I'm not beyond that. How can I help you? How can I listen to you? How can I pray for you? See, you see the difference? Wow. Somebody's going to want to receive help there. I had a totally different wrap-up plan for today, and then it got ruined a day ago. And it got ruined because one of our elders sent me a video, of all places, from CBS News. This will be the first illustration I've ever used from CBS News, which is for another sermon. But, but I was so moved by this video, I said, it was really, I felt it was from the Lord, this is the way we close our time together. So we still have the elder fund offering, but I don't, there's even no words of setup for this, except that out of the mouth of babes... We see a great example here, and then we're going to pray. So this ties it all together. Look up here on the screen. We end tonight with the football play of the month. It was executed with amazing precision by the Eagles, the Olivet Eagles. Steve Hartman has the play and the post-game analysis on the road. Between classes, they schemed and conspired. For weeks, the football players here at Olivet Middle School in Olivet, Michigan, secretly planned their remarkable play. Did anybody go, this is a crazy idea? No, everyone was in on it. But like the coaches didn't know anything about it. So we were like going behind their back. I've just never heard of a team coming up with a plan to not score. It's just like to make someone's day, make someone's week, just make them happy. The play, which was two plays actually, happened at a home game earlier this month. The first part of their plan was to try to get as close to the goal line as possible without scoring, even if it meant taking a dive on the one-yard line, which it did. 
The crowd was not happy. Quarterback Parker Smith. But us kids knew, hey, we got this. This is our time. This is Keith's time. Keith Orr is the little kid in the brown jacket. He's learning disabled, struggles with boundaries, but in the sweetest possible way. Because of his special nature, it's no surprise that Keith embraces his fellow football players. What is surprising is how they have embraced him. Hello. We thought it'd be cool to do something for him because we really wanted to prove that he was part of our team and he meant a lot to us. Nothing can really explain getting a touchdown when you've never had one before. Which brings us to part two of their play. If you didn't see Keith, it's because they were so protective of him. But he was in the middle of that rush. And when you crossed the goal line, what was that like? Awesome. <laughs> it was like, did he just score a touchdown? Get your camera out. <laughs> I'm like, oh, then I can't. Keith's parents, Carrie and Jim, almost missed the moment. But they got the significance. Somebody's always going to have his back from now until the day he graduates. She's right. When the football team decides you're cool, pretty much everyone follows suit. Today, Keith is a new kid. Although by no means was he the only one who was profoundly changed. What was it like for you? It was like, like once I saw him going, I was smiling like about like here. <laughs> Wide receiver Justice Miller. Like nothing could wipe that smile off my face. Why did it affect you so much? Because like, he's never been like cool or popular and he went from being like pretty much a nobody to making everyone's day. Justice admits the play wasn't his idea. I would have not really thought about that. He says it never crossed his mind to give Keith any glory. Well, I kind of went from being somebody like mostly cared about myself and my friends to caring about everyone and trying to make everyone's day in everyone's life. Which may just make that touchdown the most successful football play of all time. Steve Hartman on the road in Olivet, Michigan. Father God, I can only imagine and dream about what would happen if a church that had 5,000 Christ followers were to pattern themselves after those kids in Michigan who, who reached out with obvious love and selflessness to one who was bearing a burden and needed the load lightened. And Father, I hope what we walk away with this morning is that each of us really truly do have the opportunity to, to, to do this in the culture that you've placed us in, that this kind of radical love, radical hospitality, radical grace is befitting of those who have experienced your grace. And so God, help us to do that. Give us creative ways to, to sense the red dot and those around us, and then, Lord, to, to, to do things, to listen, to, to help, and to pray in such a way that we lighten the load. And Lord, may you use us then and give joy as a result of that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take up our elders' fund offer.